everyone. Welcome to episode two of season two of Museum People. Hey, Dan. Are we calling it episode two of season two or episode 10? Now, this is a question with podcasts because I've noticed that some podcasts, it's episode 735 or whatever, and they keep track of these sequentially. Hmm. What does serial do? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is Museum People, a podcast that celebrates individuals connected with the museum field by highlighting their work passions, opinions, and personalities. In each episode, you'll hear stories and viewpoints from a variety of museum people, unsung workers to executive directors, volunteers to trustees, as they help change the world one visitor at a time. And now, the hosts of Museum People, Dan Yeager and Marika Van Dam. Well, anyway, it's good. it is great to be back, whether it's episode two, season two, or episode ten. Talking more about the lives of people who work in museums. Right. So, on my mind lately has been the uh, team in museums that's formed between boards and the executive director. Uh, as some of you know, we've been going around New England with leadership workshops and talking about this with a number of museums. Been a good turnout. Great conversations. You were part of one. I went to one with two board members, and we had a great time. We had a great conversation in the car ride back. Yeah. And I thought it was, one, I was so grateful for them to take the time to go with me to experience Mm. that. Um, I wish all of my board members could have gone and board members I've been involved with in the past. I think it was was really great to hear everyone talk to each other, and, and that was great, but I really loved being at my executive director table and how useful that was. It was really great. Breakout session. Yeah. Where, yeah, we had the directors, executive directors get together and the board members get together and wrestle problems, issues, and so forth. Right, and I think that's what, what I'm finding with what we do at NEMA, convening people very often. It's just simply putting people in the same room and having conversations, not so much teaching or whatever, which we don't do a lot, but it's that notion of just conversing and I've talked to a number of the trustees that have done it and they've said the same thing they they can't believe how valuable it is to just talk to other trustees of other institutions and understand perspectives in that regard I think it's basically you know that sense that we're not alone out there Mm -hmm. and you do pick up some really interesting ideas I think there was also a little bit of when we were all together like see what I'm dealing with over there (laughs) (laughs) well maybe there might be an us and them thing well but you know the the whole workshop series was inspired by conversations that I've had with folks in the field that have indicated that this is something that they recognize is so important. And I guess I've recognized, too, the sense of teamwork between the board and the, and the executive director is so important to the culture of the museum because a lot of the tone that's set there is really carried right down through the staff outwardly to the volunteers and even you know donations and donors and uh, your public face really does reflect what's going on uh, with that uh, that team at the top so to speak and so it's so important to have it be very harmonious and well functioning and mm-hmm. what we you know I'm glad that Nima has been able to at least convene the discussion it's up to everybody to 
actually put it in place. But yeah. Well, we all wish that we could have Nima's board. Yeah, I've well, heard from you many times that you have a dream yes. board. Yes. And um, that's 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 very true. I feel very happy about that. It might be because all of our board members, most of our board members, I should say, um, are uh, museum professionals that are dealing with their own boards. And so I think there's a sense of reality that's grounding that board. They know best practices almost innately in that mm-hmm. sense. And so um, there's, it's, it's very and, – and because we are a museum association and not a museum, I think that that means that there's sort of a, a clear, here's what we do distinguished from what museums do day to day. And our board members are really fully behind the mission. They get it. So that raises a question of how do the rest of us get more museum professionals on our boards to help hmm. back us up yeah. when we say this is what a museum does and people are like, I don't get it. And we need more voices on our own boards. So um, I throw that back at you, Dan. I've heard that a couple of different times and we've had some conversations about being a clearinghouse potentially for museum professionals that are willing to serve on other people's boards. And the same way that we match people up in terms of internships and volunteers and, you know, that type of thing. Maybe there's a role for NEMA to act as the conduit for that kind of a discussion. But I do know that boards that have museum professionals on them uh, very often find that that's a good touchstone for what reality is. Because, face it, most museum boards are drawn from the local community, business people, and um, folks that are you know, active in different causes and that type of thing, and, and, and you know, of course, donors and the like they may or may not have any sort of firsthand understanding of what the museum operations uh, really entail. And so having a museum professional on your board sometimes acts as a mm, an anchor, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or just another viewpoint. Our short interviews today were taken from a NEMA board meeting. I went around the room prior to one of our board meetings and asked the uh, NEMA board what their greatest wish for the field is. Hi, I'm Susan Funk, Executive Vice President at Mystic Seaport and board member at uh, New England Museum Association. My hope and dream for museums is that they become recognized as absolutely essential to their communities, integrated into the fabric not only of education, but of special events, of family outings. And it's not just the knowledge and the collections, which are critically important, but it's also the sense of place and the sense of what, what is of the highest value to the communities. My name is Matt Kirkman, and um, my greatest hope for the museum field is that we all come together under some very big initiatives for um, human health, for environmental health, um, to support each other. Uh, my name is Judith Tolnick Champa, and I'm the founding director of the Providence Biennial for Contemporary Art, and also on the board of NEMA. I, I hope that museums will continue to be sites that people visit, um, that they are cultural treasures of this country and others, and that what's going right on right now politically is not going to endanger them entirely. Kathy Saunders, Director of Education at Providence Children's Museum and NEMA board member. And I think my wish for the museum field is that museums truly become congregant spaces where people of all walks of life are able to come together and have connections and conversation that they wouldn't ordinarily have elsewhere. Uh, I'm Doug Stark, Museum Director at the International Tennis Hall of Fame in Newport, Rhode Island. 
And my greatest wish for the museum field is, I think, more inclusion throughout. I think I'd like to see more diversity and more inclusion, and I would like them to become even more central to the communities that they are involved with. Hi, my name is Kate McBrien. I'm the chief curator at the Maine Historical Society, and my one wish for the museum field is that we are seen as essential to absolutely everybody in our country. Christina DeRocher, University of New Hampshire Museum of Art, and my hope for the future of museums is that they grow in diversity and continue to attract a wide swath of the American public. Marika, one of the questions that we've been ruminating on at NEMA, and it actually is a question nationwide, is whether museums should be active in social responsibility, social action, social justice issues. And uh, it's a conversation a lot of people are having. As well they should. So at the time of this taping, which is mid-June, we've... We have all heard about and reacted to the shootings in Orlando, Florida. And, um, yeah, there's, a, there's still a lot to process there. It hasn't even been a week. Right. And um, a, lot, a lot of people are reacting, as they should, um, trying to figure out how to, how to make this not happen again, as, because it does happen too frequently. And, um, you know, we were just discussing before we, we got on tape about um, what roles museums can play. And I think that we've seen museums play a great um, arms open kind of role. Come in, come heal with us, be a place of safe expression of your own personal feelings. But museums can be a great place of, of healing in that way and just a quiet contemplation space. Um, but is that is that all that we can be? That's a very passive role. You could do that any given time. Don't need a reason to do it. And um, are we are museums more than that? Are we more than just spaces? Are we action? Can we take action? Can we really influence the field um, in a, in, a, in a larger way? There are so many of us doing great things that are well respected in the community. So can we do that? Well, a great case in point is should we, as a community, be involved in gun control? That kind of an issue. After something like this happened, it's all well and good that we're sanctuaries and whatever. But you know, the problem as I see it, is that there are too many guns, mm-hmm. my opinion, of course. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's something, though, that museums, with their clout in any community, the way that we're able to transform people, um, I think there's a responsibility. Not we, everybody agrees. but Sure. Well, you've been advocating, right? You've been advocating on behalf of museums. I look at it as, as you know, we uh, try to have beneficial and salubrious effects on our visitors, when they're in in the museum, you know, we want them to be transformed. We want them to be educated. We want them to have a good time, whatever the, you know, the outcomes we're seeking. When they're in the museum, we say, okay, we care about you. We want something to happen. But why does that stop when they leave our doors? If we really care about our audiences, the communities in which we live and so forth, we're going to be much more outspoken about what benefits those people when they leave the doors. And so if our community is, uh, has a, a great deal of poverty, we want to help feed those people. We want to help educate those people. That's incumbent, I think, on the museum to help that 
uh, help that move forward. You know, I, I do think that we need to move beyond the model of just simply saying we're places to convene discussions and provide sanctuary and whatever. I mean, that's a little bit weak tea. Part of the conversation about social justice, and, and incidentally, this is, in fact, the theme of our conference, the NEMA conference coming up in uh, in November is plugging in museums and social action. The, there are two branches of the conversation. We were just talking about boards and their influence on the culture of the organization and how does the board basically influence social action of the museum. There's a, a concurrent conversation going on about how the rank-and-file museum workers can influence the culture of an organization and its social responsibility. And our interview today is with Margaret Middleton, who really personifies that movement. Margaret is one of the best museum people that I know. I'm so jealous that I wasn't there for your interview. But let's hear from you guys anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Margaret Middleton. I am an exhibit designer and developer, and my background is actually in industrial design. So I studied industrial design at RISD, and for me, it was a really natural progression to go from industrial design to exhibit design because industrial design, you talk about user experience. Um, in the museum world, you talk about visitor experience. And so um, industrial design for museums is visitor-centered design. Wow. So when I think of industrial design, I think of locomotives and toasters and that type of thing. Is that what you actually studied at RISD? How to develop, not toasters, but how do you, how do you get oriented towards industrial design at RISD? Well, the industrial design program at RISD is really focused on the process of design, not necessarily designing any one specific thing. So um, you can apply this process to designing handheld electronics or household appliances, but you can also apply it to um, design for the web or furniture or fashion or museum design. So do you learn how to actually make products and make fabricate things when you're in art school like that? Um, we did have several different classes in wood and metal. And we also had this really fun class where we would learn um, manufacturing techniques by going to different um, places where they're actually doing manufacturing in New England. And we saw light bulbs getting made and bronze getting cast. And um, that was probably one of my favorite classes. How did that experience then translate into exhibit design? Well, uh, while I was at RISD, I had a work-study opportunity at the Providence Children's Museum, and I was there when they hired their first exhibit designer full-time, and he was my mentor, and I decided I wanted to be just like him when I grew up. I'm really interested in technology. Uh, we, we hear a lot about how technology is changing the way museums just approach their programming and very often their exhibits. Have you been like at, at RISD and then in your experience, are you incorporating technology into your museum exhibits a lot more? Yeah, I have, I have um, incorporated technology into digital technology into museum exhibits. I think that some of my favorite ways to use it, though, are ways that um, may not necessarily put that digital technology first and foremost. Um, there are ways to connect physical objects, tactile objects, with digital experiences. 
So, um, for example, using sensors that recognize physical objects and enhance um, whatever you're learning um, by understanding what you're doing. So, like, the, the objects know where you are. So what has been your favorite exhibit to have worked on? What are you proudest of? I'm usually most proud of the thing I just did. Um, but in this case, I think that that's, that's actually fairly accurate. Um, most recently, I designed an exhibit called Mimi's Family Photography by Matthew Clowney. And that exhibit is um, it's a photography exhibit for children and their families about a family in the Boston area with a transgender grandparent. And we crowdfunded the exhibit, and it was it's a traveling exhibit. It went to two different venues, and it was met with a really great response from the community. What kind of response? How did people respond to something like that? Well, I think my favorite part of the community response that I got to feel very directly was having our gallery opening. And the woman in the pictures brought, and her family, they, they brought all of their friends, and it was a really exciting, like all of the advisors came, and it was this really exciting celebration. Well, these are audiences that are typically not represented in museums or in exhibitions, true? Yeah, um, I mean, the response that I got from the family was that this was really exciting to them because they'd never seen anyone like their grandparent in a museum before, like in a museum exhibit or, or, you know, even just publicly. So absolutely, transgender folks are very underrepresented in the media and in museums too. You are very active in causes and issues and the like. And as a matter of fact, one thing that you've had a conference session at uh, the NEMA conference this past year on gender language, correct? Uh, how did that go? Yeah, our session was about gender and sexuality in the museum, and I think it went really well. We got a lot of really positive response from it. I presented with Nicole Claris from the MFA, and we talked about, we really, we talked about all sorts of stuff. We went from, we were, I mean, she and I specifically spoke about our experiences um, she had done some programming um, for volunteers specifically around assumptions that we make about our visitors in terms of their gender identities or gender expression or sexuality. And I presented a little bit about the Mimi's Family exhibit. And we ended up having this like really interesting conversation specifically around how we can be using language to be more inclusive in museums. Give me an example. How are museums biased? What kind of language do we traditionally use, and how do you recommend that we change it? Uh, Well, we use the word we a lot, um, and that is a really nebulous word that can, that it invariably leaves someone out, unless you're referring to the entirety of the human population on the planet Earth. It is really hard to make a sweeping statement that starts with we and have that not alienate somebody. I mean, when we, when we, when we museum professionals say something like, um, we won the war, for example, who's we there? Or um, we say something like, the United States is 
entirely made up of immigrants. Um, who are we leaving out there? People who were forcibly brought to the country, people who were already here. In, in a museum setting, you're talking about potentially changing things like labels and interpretation. Are you also talking about changing physical structures? What other things are affected by, you know, if we're completely sensitive to all of our audiences, what would the museum look like? Well, aside from the words that we use in the labels and in the website and the membership forms and our wayfinding and the signs on the bathrooms, um, that's uh, the other the other things that we should be paying attention to are visual representations of people and families and visitors. And there are, I think there are a lot of ways that exhibit designers can make room for all different types of families. I think that a lot of museums are doing a great job of thinking about modular seating and that can allow for family groups of any size rather than the like the four four person family that I think the museum of old was designing for. You're also involved very much in this conversation about museum workers. Uh, tell me a little bit about what that is all about. What are what's the Museum Workers Speak initiative, and how do you plug into that? Well, the Museum Workers Speak initiative is all about turning that social justice lens that museums are starting to take, which is really wonderful. But it's it's taking that that social justice lens and applying it inward and thinking about how that applies to the people who work at the museum. What do you find the sentiment is in terms of people that work in museums? Are they happy? Are there, is there, you know, a sense of we can do better? What, what really is the conversation these days? I think that people love working in museums and that we want a lot more from our places of employment, though. Um, there are... a like I think what what museum workers speak is really about is thinking about um, hiring practices and paths to leadership and professional development and thinking about if we want to be serving a broader audience um, how we need to hire for that like if our, if we if we want our audience to look like our city why doesn't our museum staff look like our city? Are there specific proposals that this group is making? Uh, is there a sense of, um, you know, here's what we really would like to see happen in museums? So I think they are doing a lot of things. Museum Workers Speak is writing a lot and holding all of these gatherings. I know they're going to be at AAM this year with an official session this year. And we host these conversations all around the country. The goal is to get museums to start thinking about their hiring practices, the way they think about their audience development initiatives. Right. Are museums making progress in these different areas, do you think? Are, are, are folks starting to pay attention to diverse audiences, to diversity in their museum staff, to being more socially responsible as museums? You definitely hear the word diversity a lot more these days, which is, I think, probably a step in the right direction, as long as it's not being used as a code word, um, which it, I think it's, you know, there's, a, there's always the temptation to have it slip into that code word sort of 
place. Um, what do you mean by code word? Well, there are all of these words that we use as code words that mean that we're, we're saying one thing and we're really meaning something else. Like, for example, museums often use the word community. And what they really mean are black and brown communities. Or they will say low income as a way of saying people of color. Um, and, of course, those are really problematic. Um, talk about underserved audiences a lot. Um, you hear the word outreach a lot. Even the word invitation, I think, is really problematic. We talk about inviting people, but, you know, that, that sets up a really problematic power dynamic there just in that just to just to speak in those terms somebody i i I slipped one time and i said something about how you know our goal is to empower you or something like that and like i don't need empowerment you know i it's like it's not yours to bestow and i'm like yeah you're right it's like i'm not gonna bestow any you know it's like i want to help i want to do whatever well you're talking about empowerment i i i completely you know i i think the way that i was talking about mimi's family exhibit um in the early days of it um i was using the term um validation um to to be seeking validation from a, an institution which of course is 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 problematic too like i think we say empowerment and validation in very similar sort of ways and um what we really mean, I think what I really meant was representation. You know, I was, I was providing representation and, and not that, not that anyone needed our validation, but that it was really more about, um, helping folks feel seen Hmm. more than validated. Yeah, that's a great point. So what did museums need to do in order to really be, uh, in your mind, where they need to be on these issues what what steps can they take for example the mfa had uh, a session talking about their uh, japanese kimono issue are those the kinds of things that museums needed to be doing more of yeah absolutely i think that the forum that the mfa had about kimono wednesday was uh, definitely a step in the right direction museums need to acknowledge that they participate in uh, the structure of white supremacy, and if they want to do anti-racist work, that's the place to be in. So what words of wisdom would you have for a person like me, who is a white male? What can I be doing to help sort of break down that structure of white supremacy? My first thought is to listen, um, which is something that you do really well. It's important to sit with our discomforts white supremacy and racism are uncomfortable for all of us and that's the reality and we need to sit with that where if there if you know i'm a i am a white person i operate under white privilege it's very important for me to sit back and listen and sit with my discomfort and not to take up space and to have to use my privilege yeah. to amplify the voices of others. What can we be doing as a field to encourage more gays and lesbians and transgender people to enter the field itself, to really diversify the field that way? Well, I think that museums already welcome queer folks really well. I think queer folks are 
I would say um, many queer folks are drawn to museums. Although I'm not going to say that because I don't have a really good way to back that up. Um, it's definitely come up in chats, though, that I've had on Twitter. Once drawn into the field, though, do they feel welcome actually working in museums? Well, I think this goes back to museum workers speak. I think that museums can say that they're a very welcoming place. You know, um, after marriage equality passed, I saw so many museums changing their logo to have a rainbow on it. But I wanted to know if those places were offering, you know, to extend benefits to non-married partners of people who worked at the museum, or whether or not they were covering fertility services or gender transition surgeries, or, you know, whether or not they had gender-neutral bathrooms in their museums, or whether or not they, maybe they're down with the gay and lesbian cause, but you know, how welcoming are they for trans folks? Okay, last question. Any words of wisdom for somebody that wants to follow in your footsteps coming into the museum field? What would you have to say to them? The museum field is a very friendly one. Um, I have found it to be really helpful and rewarding to meet as many people as possible. And I've found that they've always been really great at helping me find my next gig. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. So Margaret covered a lot of ground in that interview. uh, And she, boy, is she passionate about a lot of subjects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's very thoughtful. Um, She's very active, not just here in New England, but across the country. She is. She's gotten to really be known as, uh, you know, one of the leaders. And I find it interesting because personally she's, you know, she's very quiet and she has this um, real grace to her, I think. And that actually makes her a very powerful leader in this revolution, as you've called it, I Mm -hmm. think, of the museum worker. Uh, She's not a firebrand, but she's very effective because she's so earnest. And I think it's because of that demeanor that she has that's just very powerful. Um, but, you know, the variety of causes of, you know, diversity, of uh, museum worker empowerment, of LGBT issues, uh, you know, those are the things that are really at the forefront of her um, agenda and action. And what's interesting is that she's able to actually weave some of that into her professional life as well. She talked about uh, her exhibition of uh, photography of a transgendered, uh, grandparent, uh, which I thought was very powerful, and it was a great moment for her to be able to have that exhibition uh, with uh, a, a, an opening reception, and all of the things that we uh, consider the norm in a museum for whatever type of artwork. And here it is, actually cutting through a lot of barriers, talking about transgender families. Uh, which is very important to her, and I think is is growing in importance as an issue nationally. Right. It's, how, it's so great that that could happen in, here in Boston, in the Boston area. It's an area you maybe would think is more traditional. It's been very traditional in the past, and mm. kudos for Margaret for making that happen and um, for her fellow museum people to support her in that. And Margaret was talking a lot about the importance of being aware of how we use language and what that means to different audiences that are perhaps traditionally 
uh, shut out of the museum. And every time I talk with her, of course, it's it's an eye opener for me. She makes me very aware of my automatic biases and my you know just upbringing of how I talk about things and recognize wow that might offend people Mm -hmm. and she i think used the phrase in the interview about how it creates uncomfortable conversations but that we should welcome those uncomfortable conversations typically we shy away from those we don't like to have conversations that we realize are really really uncomfortable because this person that we're talking with is an other somebody that's not like us and what do we say and frankly, we're afraid to offend them, I suppose, and that's you know that's valid. But you know that use of language—if we can really be aware of that in our museums—I think that we go a long way to really opening our doors. I found that when you talk with people about um, about issues like this, or people who don't necessarily see eye to eye, eye, to eye with you, I'm just thinking about um, you know I did this session at AM about women's issues and how people don't consider themselves feminists, which is just bonkers because when you ask them do you think that um, everyone should be treated equally they were like well of course do you consider yourself a feminist no i'm not a feminist but it's so funny when you just explain these things to people they just didn't hadn't realized it before and so there's still a lot of just baseline educating we have to do Mm. and i think margaret's doing great work with that right she's creating documents and, and materials that people can use and they're so clear and you read them and you're like oh i never thought of that about that like that that makes sense. Right. And so just uh, I applaud her for doing that, really making a change that way. Yeah. Am I a feminist? <laughs> yes. I can be a feminist. Why can't you be a feminist? I do, don't know. Do you think that um, men and women in the in the workplace or anywhere in life should be uh, paid equally? Absolutely. And treated equally? Right. Absolutely. Right. Do you think that women have brains? <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> Of course. Seriously. I mean, though, it's it's interesting because I have grown into this role of being very, very gender aware, meaning, uh, well, all right, great case in point. You handed me a postcard at the AAM conference and said, fill out your one wish for, what was it, females working in the museum yeah, field women, or something. And what did I write? Don't tolerate pats on the head. Right. Yeah. So my... Boy, I'll tell you, you want to get my blood boiling, you start talking to me about a young museum leader, a woman, who is experiencing uh, sexism from her board, for example, and she's discriminated in that way, like, I know better than you, don't tell me what to do. You know, How nice I, that you have opinions. Yeah, right. And, and, you know, that just drives me crazy because, you know, here we are as institutions that really need to set the stage for that sense of teamwork that we were talking about earlier. And yet the team is, you know, totally lopsided and that it's going to be a really lousy institution. I will tell you, and those pats on the head are so demeaning to the person. Am I going off? I shouldn't go off, but I feel, okay. So I asked you the question, am I a feminist? And I, I would wear that proudly. I mean, it's just, it's, it's an equality thing. And I think that, you know, it's, um, I'm passionate about museums, and if we don't recognize that females, whether they're young or old, have a lot to bring to the institution and get out of this sort of bias that we have, uh, we're never going to really advance our institutions. Right, and I I appreciate everything that you say, Dan, about young female leaders, but as one, I mean, you have no idea what it's even like for me. Right. You know, if you see it from your angle, and, and I've experienced it for my whole museum career, and of course, I have no idea what it's like for Margaret. Right. So like yeah. it, uh, 
no idea. I can, I can sympathize with what she's going to going through and I can support her and want to help her, but she's, she's doing it in her own way. And then of course we have, um, people of color working in museums. We have no idea what they are experiencing. So, um, that's just something to really keep in mind that, um, we we have to go into it minds open and say, I want to help you. How can I help you? And assume the other person's going to say the same thing about our experiences and want to help us. So, Go out and change the world, museum people. Get riled. <laughs> Rile people up. We're all part of the revolution. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time. We love you, museum people. Next time on Museum People. Nima's only sprung for two microphones, and we have five people in the room. How are you finding the field as you're navigating your way into jobs here? It's rough. It's rough. There are the people in your life who are like, you're smart, you can do this. If you have a great idea, pursue it. We somehow have to, pardon my language, but screw conformity and really push the envelope. Museum People is a production of the New England Museum Association, which connects, inspires, and empowers cultural institutions to provide their communities with deep and authentic experiences. Have an idea or comment for Museum People? Go to nemanet.org slash museumpeople to provide feedback, get information about episodes, and learn how to subscribe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>